to help lead the church in worship. So thank you, Bastion, for doing that today. It's, it's, no one finds it easy to do it. We all understand that it's not easy. So if you're sitting back and you're like, you know, I don't want to join, I don't want to do special music, or I, don't, I, you know, I like to read poetry, but I don't want to do it, or that sort of thing, because I'm scared. Everyone's scared. They're just glad that it's you doing it, not them. <laughs> so take one for the team and sign up. I appreciate uh, what Brooke and Artis and David do as worship leaders. I appreciate the, the music that they pick up, that they purposely lead us away from the craziness of this life uh, and look to God. We're blessed to have musicians, not just special music people, but musicians like Brooke and Ardeth and David and, who take the responsibility seriously. There are some churches that don't have any musicians in there, and so they, they play YouTube videos, which is fine. There are some churches that have musicians, but those musicians aren't willing to serve, and so they play the YouTube videos, which is fine. But I'm grateful that we can have, we can, as the Church of Jesus Christ, we can lead each other through the, to the throne of God with the gifts he has given us because that's what he, he equips the body of Christ to use gifts so we can lead each other before the throne of God and worship him. That's the beauty of the local body of Christ. Everyone working together to point people back to Christ. Back in February, uh, we discussed 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been slowly working through 1 Corinthians. We started in January of 2022 and now we're in March of 2023, and we've gotten to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're making pretty good time. Back in February, we discussed 1 Corinthians 11. We spent three weeks discussing the worship service. We talked about the attitude of worship, how we need to have the attitude of humility, unity, service, and focus. We talked about the focus of worship. It is Christ, his life, his death, his redemption, his proclamation. We talked about the result of worship, what it should be. As we come together and use our gifts to glorify God, we should have a blessing through our unity and our service. In 1 Corinthians 14, after discussing the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and discussing love in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul circles back around. Thank you to whoever restocked my glass thing. Back around to worship service. He circles back around to worship service and discusses some very specific problems that the Corinthians are having in their worship service. Ten second rule. (laughs) Through these essential elements that he talks about in the worship service, uh, he drives home the fact that a worship service that is not based, worship that is based upon love is to bring people to God. Worship service is not to bring people to myself. It's not to bring people to someone else. The worship service is to bring people, their focus to God. That's why Brooke and I need some humility sometimes of doing this when we're sick. Because it's, it, it, this is just painful. Everything is designed to lead people to know God better and glorify him. That's what Paul says through 1 Corinthians 14. So would you read that passage with me? 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. 
I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Paul's writing that a worship service based upon love is to bring people to God. Today, as we look through this passage, we're going to look at three words. We're going to look at strengthen, encourage, and comfort. But before we dive in, will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the God who strengthens. You are the God who equips. You are the God who empowers. You are the God who can take broken people and shine through them and glorify yourself. It's not about us, little Lord. It's not about us, but to your name be glory, honor, and praise. So today we come before your throne and praise you. We lift you up as the one we are worshiping, the one who did everything so that we might have a relationship with you, our sins forgiven and our future guaranteed, that we have a living hope, that one day we'll see you face to face, and all the pains and brokenness of this life will be done away with. Oh Lord, we yearn for that day. But until then, Father, teach us what it means to live here, to live now, and to proclaim your truth to the world around us. Teach us what it means to stand up strong as your people and not bow to the whims of of what the world says and the false truths that are shouted out at us. But Lord, teach us what it means that your word is our authority and we will not stray from it. Thank you for equipping us to what you've called us to live. And Father, as I'm up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Before we can look at the words that I talked about, strengthen, comfort, and encourage, we need to discuss a specific spiritual gift that Paul is talking about in this passage. We've got to discuss the prophet. We are introduced to the prophet in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the random list of gifts that Paul was referring to. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And in verse 10, he says, to another power, miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing spirits, and he keeps rattling off this uh, limited list of spiritual gifts. Prophecy. We've said it back then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We talked about prophecy and said, scripturally, prophecy is speaking the message of God. The prophet confronts the people of this world, whether they're followers of Jesus Christ or not, and he tells them what it means to live godly lives and the consequences for not living those godly lives. Sometimes, biblically, the prophet uses future predictions to support his message. He tells the people, like the prophet Isaiah, tells the people of Israel, hey, you are not following God. You need to do this in order to follow God. If you don't follow God, this is going to happen. And you know this is going to happen because this, I'm going to say this, future prediction. And when this comes to pass, you will know what I say is true, and you better repent and follow God. That's how they used those future predictions. It was a sign to listen to what the prophet said and come back into following God. The focus of the prophet was never the future. The focus was always the present, calling people to follow God right now. The future was a sign so that people would follow him right now, that listen to the main purpose of the message. Paul mentions the prophet in his letter to Ephesians in Philippians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Uh, Paul writes, 
to that church. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, one man spent way too long studying 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Became obsessed over this chapter. And he, as he's studying this chapter, he writes this definition of the prophet. Hold on to your seats. He says, prophesying in Paul's theology and in his argument in this chapter is the performing of intelligible, articulate, communicative speech acts, the operative currency of which depends on the active agency of the Holy Spirit mediated through human minds and lives to build up, to encourage, to judge, to exhort, and to comfort others in the context of interpersonal relations. Did anyone follow that? (laughs) A couple people. Way too many words, way too long. I appreciate the study he did, but, you know, uh, I'm going to simplify his definition to this sentence. The prophet speaks truth based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and in order to encourage the church to live the glory of God. That's the definition of a prophet biblically. It's someone who speaks truth based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to encourage the church to live the glory of God. The work of the prophet in Paul's day had pastoral preaching at its center. Now, I have to speak very carefully because I will not say that when I am up here on this stage beyond this podium that I am speaking the words of God as the prophet in Paul's day could say. God is not appearing to me in a dream and saying, tell this to Calvary Bible Church. It ain't happening. I don't have that specific gift. That's why I try to pack my messages with Scripture because, and, and base everything I say on Scripture because I know that Scripture is the Word of God. It is inspired by God, given for reproof, for doctrine, for correction righteousness, for training that the man of God may be fully equipped to do his service. My opinion's my opinion. You could take my opinion with a grain of salt and then throw it out the window. The Word of God is the Word of God. And so I spend time praying and seeking God that the message I speak would be used by Him to change lives. It's His Word working, not my Word at all. But my role as a pastor teacher is the role of a prophet. If you look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we read it earlier. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Biblically, the prophet, the the apostle, was someone who had seen Christ and had been sent out by him to spread the gospel. Biblically, the prophet received a message from God and then turned around and used it to strengthen, encourage, and comfort a local church. As times progressed, those roles morphed into the evangelist who has not seen Christ, but who has been sent out by him to spread the gospel. And then the pastor teacher, who after seeking the help of the Holy Spirit, prepares a message to strengthen, encourage, and comfort a local church. There are correlations that are going on. There's been a recent movement called the neo-prophetic movement that's been catching a lot of people's eyes recently. Um, Certain people have stood up and proclaimed themselves as prophets able to predict future events. Unfortunately, many of these prophets, as they've declared themselves, have defined prophecy in a very narrow, highly supernatural sense, and they've ripped it 
from the biblical definition because they focused only on predicting future events and they've not talked about how the body of Christ needs to live now. Unfortunately, too, these prophets, they define themselves, most of them do not submit their revelations from the Lord to the evaluation of a congregation and to duly recognized group of church leaders. They're on their own saying, thus says the Lord, but they don't have an authority over them. And whenever that happens, bad things happen. Whenever someone claims to be able to predict the future in that prophetic role, I really want to walk up to them. I've never been able to -to face-to-face meet one of these people, though. But I want to walk up to say, okay, you claim to predict the future. Are you willing to submit to the Old Testament trial of a prophet? If you don't know what that is, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22 talks about this. It says, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. That's what Moses tells the people of Israel. You say, well, how do you know? He says, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. He says, don't listen to what they say because they're not speaking of the Lord and put them to death because they've taken the name of the Lord in vain. That is the test of the Old Testament prophet. If someone predicts the future and it doesn't come to pass, scripture says that that person is not speaking of the Lord and should be put to death. I'm not saying that we should put people to death right now. That's kind of drastic. None of us wants to take a, most of the time, none of us wants to take a stone and put someone to death. We're all humans. Okay, it happens. Um, What I'm saying is too few people approach this subject with the soberness that is needed. Too few people. There are many prophets who stood up at the 2020 election and made some really outstanding predictions of what was going to happen at that election, and all of them did not come to pass. And those prophets are still making prophecies today, and people are still following them. And I'm wondering why. Because that's not biblical, according to Deuteronomy 18. I shudder whenever I hear someone say, the Lord told me. How do we know? Are we sure that it was from the Lord? Are we sure that we have interpreted it correctly? Because we are merely human. We are merely human. That's why any, everyone should be under authority and living in a local body of Christ so we can talk to each other and compare it to the word of God and say, okay, is this actually true or is it not? One person wrote this. It would probably be good if no Christian today ever said, the Lord told me, lest God get blamed for human error, rather preface their remarks with, I believe the Lord has told me. And have the humility to say, you know what? I'm merely human, and I do things wrong and messed up. I am broken by human sinful nature, and I want you to know God, not myself. Coming back to Paul's discussion of the role of the prophet, Paul highlights this role because the prophet has a unique opportunity to reach out and lovingly build up the congregation towards God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Warren Wearsby wrote this. Paul emphasized the importance of doctrinal teaching in the church. Our worship must be based on truth or it may become superstitious emotionalism. Christians need to know what they believe and why they believe it. The prophet shared truth with the church and therefore edified the assembly. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul uh, contrasts the gift of prophecy with the gift of tongues. But I'm not going to talk about tongues today, even though it's mentioned in our passage. I'm going to push it off into May and further in chapter 14 when he dives more into the gift of tongues. Today we're just talking about the gift of prophecy. The prophet speaks truth based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to encourage the church to live the glory of God. Now having discussed the gift of the prophet, let's talk about the three things that the prophet pursues. Incidentally, these three things should be things that every single person in the body of Christ should be pursuing in their relationship with each other. But I'm merely talking about the prophet today. You can apply it to yourself. In our case, we're talking about the prophet or the pastor teacher. Paul says that the prophet strengthens. 1 Corinthians 14, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. The word strengthening could also be translated edifying, It could be translated building or building up. This word is a building word. I got to spend some time with the contractors who were working on Dean and Nancy's house before it was a house and it was just an empty lot after we forced them to start building the house. You should have seen that conversation. I took Dean out back and I had my shotgun. But the contractors came and they, they, these are all stock photos because I didn't have any pictures of actually what happened. Uh, they came around, walked around the empty property, they took measurements to see, okay, what do they want it to look like? They created a plan how to tr- transform that empty lot into the house that's there. They dug a lot, they figured out the slope of the ground so they can pour enough cement on the backside so the house wouldn't be like this. It was amazing when you walked onto the empty lot, you thought it was pretty level. But if you go walk on it today, you realize it's not. The ground floor on the front is, you know, you can just walk right into it. The back, you die if you fall off. But they dug a lot. They f- figured out the slope of the ground. They poured cement. They moved earth around. And then they sat down with Dean and Nancy and decided what the inside and the outside of the house would look like. <laughs> they purposely <laughs> I tried to find the most detailed plans I could that were complete. I mean, this is a five-car garage. <laughs> they purposely changed parts of the plan so that uh, it, you could just walk right into it. There'd be no stairs. The doors would be wide enough to, to uh, meet all aspects of life, all stages of life. And they discussed the garage extensively. They actually did. And they created something that met the need that Dean had. Specifically, he wanted a larger garage than I did. (laughs) Because he was jealous of my flagpole. (laughs) This is what a builder does. The builder looks at the blank slate of what is there, dreams about what could be there, and makes the process of what is to what will be and hopefully ends up with a building that is strong and useful. The prophet is the same thing. The prophet looks at a church, both as a whole and as individuals, and he sees what is and what should be, 
and purposely preaches and engages in conversation to bring the church, both as a whole and individually, from what it is now to what it should be, the end result that God is calling them to be. Paul uses that word that the NIV translates strengthen. He uses the same word in Ephesians chapter 4 in the passage that we were talking about when Christ gave these people to the church. And he says these people he gave to the church to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Same exact word as found in 1 Corinthians 14. A building word. It sees what the end of result should be and does what it takes to get to that result. Paul talks about this building, this end result that we are wanting in the local body of Christ. He talks about this earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Paul writes to Ephesians and says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. My goal, and every teacher in this church should have that goal. My goal is to know every single person under my charge. Um, the church has grown to such that when I first came here, I said my goal was to know you and to know everything about you and to know even down to your favorite color. The church has grown so much, and I've gotten older, I won't be able to remember that. You can tell me your favorite color today. I'll love knowing it, and then I'll promptly forget it. But my goal is to know where you are spiritually. I pray for every single person in this church by name, and I pray for your kids and your grandkids if I know their name. I pray that God would guide me and prepare me to build you where you need to be spiritually. That's my role. That's my goal. And I prepare my sermons with that goal in mind, knowing who will be here to hear them. I prepare for my conversations with that goal in mind to lift you from where you are to the next stage spiritually to know God better. I think about what Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Wow, what a description that is. But it is so true. Sometimes, as a pastor of this church, I'm not prepared for the conversations that I'm having with you. It just blows me over. I didn't expect to talk about that that day. Sometimes the sermons that I prepare fall flat. It just happens. I'm human. But God is faithful. And even in those times that I'm not prepared or what I prepared isn't what it should have been, God, God still works. And he gives me the ability to speak words that still build up, that are needed in that moment to bring someone's life that one step closer to the building that it's desired. And when that happens, it's not me. It's God. And I'm grateful for his grace and his mercy that he works through broken people. The prophet strengthens. The prophet builds up. The prophet encourages Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 about, you know, the prophet encouraging. The word encouraging could also be translated comfort, could also be translated exhortation. For those of you who are interested, the word is perichalesis, because I know there's some Greek people out there like to know the Greek. There you go, it's perichalesis. It's the noun version of the word perikaleo. It's the sister word for paraclete, which is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit leaving that behind. John 14, verse 26, 
Speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Chapter 15, verse 26 of John. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 16, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit, paraclete, the same sister word for what the prophet does to the church. This word is someone who comes alongside to embolden another person in their belief or their course of action. This person could also come alongside to lift up their spirits. This person could also bring a strong plea for someone to change their course of action or belief. This role that is talked about that Paul says about the prophet is very similar to the role of building. But instead of construction, picture a marathon. Picture a marathon with this. Paul has used marathon language before in 1 Corinthians, in the Christian life. He says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets to the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So the course has been set. The flag is dropped. We're all running the course that is set out for us, following Jesus Christ in the marathon of our life. If I ever run, which is very rarely, I can do about two minutes, and then I die. So this is what happens. Unless I have someone running with me. If I have someone running with me, I can go longer. When I was in Dallas, I never ran a marathon. I've never run a marathon. I have no desire to run a marathon. If you want to run a marathon, I will cheer you on. Go for it. When I was in Dallas, a friend of mine and I decided for some strange, crazy thing to run twice a week, 15 minutes. He came up with this idea. I must have been asleep because I agreed to it. And so we started running. And if he had not been there with me, I would have given up. I totally would have. But he was there with me from my door, forcing me to get out of my door, going down the stairs to outside, running the 15 minutes there and back, and then making sure I was not dead when I get back to my room. He was there to keep me on track. The prophet comes alongside those who are running the Christian life. He sees the person who is about to give up and comes alongside and speaks words of encouragement to that person. He gives that person strength to make the next step and the next step and the next step until finally that person catches his second wind and can go on his own. The prophet looks over and sees the person who's discouraged. Her spirits are down. And because of what she is feeling, she cannot run. Cannot at all. The prophet comes alongside and speaks uplifting words until she is able to run with her eyes focused on her Savior. The prophet's not done yet. The prophet sees someone who's left the track and is cutting across cross country on a route that the prophet knows is going to bring pain, misery, and disqualification. And the prophet leaves the path after that person. Comes alongside, speak words of exhortation, pointing the person back to Christ and the path that brings joy and reward. Paul talks to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. 
And he says to them in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That word encourage, same word. And then verse 5, he says, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. The prophet encourages, lifts up, exhorts. But the prophet also comforts. The prophet comforts. Paul writes that the prophet comforts. I've already discussed comfort under encourage, but that specific word of comfort was lifting someone's spirits. This word comfort is encouraging someone who is depressed or in grief. Incidentally, this word comfort is the only spot in scripture that this specific word is used. A sister word is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Encourage the disheartened, same word, the sister word that is used in 1 Corinthians 14. We all have times when we are sad, but this word is speaking of something deeper than just sadness. This is speaking of the loss of a loved one, the tragic death of a child. This is the parent who's just been informed that their son is now transgender and has cut them out of his life. This is the young lady who's been raped and doesn't know what to do. This is the young couple who have aborted their baby and just realized what they've done. This is the teen boy who's come face to face with the evil of this world and wants to kill himself. These are the situations that this word is describing, and we can add to those descriptions. We can add to them from, from our life and the moments we've gone through. And in the face of that depression, in the face of that grief, the prophet comes in and imitates God. And he sees, he hears, he comes and sits in the midst of the pain and he cries. Because there's some pain that words... Just don't. Words don't come. And words don't cut it. And the prophet prays, grateful of the truth found in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That is the hope in that time. I've been there. Each of you have been there. After much silence and tears, the prophet speaks what he's prepared, what he's been burdened to share. Hopefully, he doesn't speak as Job's friends spoke and pushes Job down into the mud. But hopefully he speaks as Jesus did at Lazarus' tomb. After Jesus wept, he pointed to the hope that we have. After he cried, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Because out of grief, new life comes. 
Because in that day, Lazarus walked out of the tomb. I wasn't expecting to cry like this. The prophet comes into the pain to show the hand and glory of God to people who cannot see because they're stuck in the darkness of depression and grief. They cannot see for themselves, so the prophet comes in to see for them. The prophet strengthens. The prophet encourages. The prophet comforts. This is the biblical role of a prophet. And the prophet, when he does it, is always confined by love. Always by love. Paul speaks so highly of this role of the prophet because it is tied to love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says about food sacrifice idols, we know all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, because prophecy builds up. In the same way that love does, prophecy is extended extension of that love. Love looks outside ourselves and does what is right for someone else, putting their needs above our own. In the same way, the prophet looks outside himself and works for the good and spiritual maturity of those around him, putting their needs above his own. Paul writes, pursue love. And in that framework, seek the things of the Spirit, especially prophecy, because prophecy builds up. It is not natural to live this way. Again, it's a gift of the Spirit that is given. It's not natural to speak to others within this framework of truth. It's natural for us to either live in love and don't speak, or speak and don't love. But as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Paul writes in this passage as we'll unpack more in the weeks to come, that a worship service is supposed to be based upon love and it's to bring people to God. The prophet is just one little aspect of that worship service, of the body of Christ coming together, but the prophet helps that by strengthening, encouraging, and comforting the people of God in their Christian life. Next week, we're leaving 1 Corinthians 14 to a side and we're gonna look to Jesus Christ, and what it means to follow him as we dive into the Passion Week services, Palm Sunday, and then the Easter weekend. And then we'll pick this up later on, end of April into May. As Brooke comes to lead us in the last song, will you pray again with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the strength that you give. Thank you for giving us gifts that we can use to encourage one another and point each other to you through the good times and the bad, the times of laughter and the times of tears. Thank you for giving us strength through those times. And thank you for blessing us with the body of Christ, that we can turn to each other and strengthen each other, encourage each other and comfort each other. And thank you how you have blessed us to be that body who does that. Lord, continue to lead us in this path that the world around us will see us as a church that loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we show that love, we prove that love by how we interact with each other. Lord, you are so good and we love you. Amen.